Hey, everybody. Just caught me doing some shopping. Got my cart here. Let's see. What do I want to get for myself? Ah! Look at this gently used Wilson extra racket. Beautiful. Totally need that. Never played tennis a day in my life. Gonna start today. But how am I gonna get to the tennis court? The car I have probably isn't worth driving there. I need a new car. Look at this life-size Mustang. I'm gonna look so good in this car. I need this car. But you know, I was just thinking to myself, if I'm gonna be playing tennis, I can't wear these shoes. I need a new pair of tennis shoes. Ah, here they are. Look at that. You guys like my shoes? Totally need these. Yeah, totally not weird. They've been sitting here the whole time either, right? Let me think. You guys like my new car, right? I like my new car. Here's the deal with my new car. Um, I really like the pedals, and I don't want to mess them up, right? I mean, you bought a new car. You wouldn't want to mess up the pedals, right? I need a new pair of shoes. I need a new pair of really expensive shoes. These shoes. <gasps> I love them. But... These new shoes, I, I don't want them to shrink because shrinking shoes is like a legitimate fear of mine. So I need to purchase some custom handcrafted cedar shoe non-shrinker things. <laughs> Gotta have them, have to have them, totally need them. You know what else? I'm just not quite feeling significant in my life. What's this? What I've always needed a life-size replica of R2-D2. I love Star Wars growing up. I have to have this. But you know, I see here this sticker that says it's on sale. Buy one, get one half off. I'm practically leaving money on the table if I don't buy this other one. I need this. Think of how much money I saved. Now, what am I going to do with all my stuff? What do I need? I, I've got all these things and I know what I need to buy, a storage container to store all the things I just bought, and then I can put this container into a giant storage container that I can rent to hold more things. I feel significant, safe, and loved. Can't even fit it in this cart. Thanks for shopping with me. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. Has that ever happened to you? Right? We live in a particular cultural moment where we are being told a thousand times a day that our safety and our significance comes from the stuff that we've accumulated. That our safety and significance comes from the stuff that we've accumulated. Think about even the language I was intentionally lampooning, right? Did you hear the word I said every time I came across a new possession? What was the word? Need. I need it. You know why I think I need it? Because someone told me that I need it. In fact, my very identity is at risk of being shaped by a culture that refers to me primarily as the American consumer. And I run the risk, and maybe you do too, especially in this season, I run the risk 
of buying into the false gospel that my worth and my significance and my safety come from the stuff that I've got. In four weeks, millions of Americans will gather around dinner table with friends and family. And somebody inevitably will do something like this. What do you have that you're grateful for? And maybe even in some homes, somebody might even pray. They may pray something like this. God, we are so thankful for all that you have provided, the many ways that you've blessed us. And then after a gluttonous meal, and we do the old, you know what I'm talking about, we will go to sleep. And then our, for millions of Americans, at 1 a.m., our alarm will go off. On this Thanksgiving day, we will rise out of bed, get into our vehicle, and drive to a place to use our credit card to purchase things we need or things that we've been told that we need. Do you not find it bitterly ironic that the very day dedicated to giving thanks to God for his provision and blessing is the launch date of the most consumeristic-based day in the universe? And the fact that many of us aren't even bothered by this, the fact that many of us don't even find this painfully ironic, the fact that many of us are just like, yeah, speaks to the fact that like a fish in water, so too we are in such a consumeristic society, we can't even see the lies that we're believing unless we do something ridiculous like lampoon it like this. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out at 1 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving, especially if I have my list. I can give you my wish list, so if you're going out for me, please... Go get me something. I, I, I could use a TV. I need one. I'm going to do research for the sermons. Yeah, you know. Is this bothering anybody? Let me ask you this. For those of us that have given ourselves over to the lie of the American dream, and by that I mean get all the stuff, is it giving you peace and value? Are you feeling safer? The more you have accumulated the stuff, are you feeling more safe? Or do you, like the storage bin, just have to keep buying more things to keep the things more safe? I mean, the most logical purchase after buying a very expensive thing is to buy another expensive thing to put the expensive thing in to keep everybody else out. And then, of course, I have to buy the other thing for the expensive thing, and then I'm going to move the expensive thing around, so i got to get another expensive thing. But, I mean, when is it going to end? Here's the question that I would for, like for you to consider. How much is enough? How much is enough? We live in the most affluent time in one of the most affluent nations. And for those of us that are Jesus followers, I know not all of us are following Jesus. And I, I, for those of you that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here today. And I'm glad that you're here to listen to this because this is something we, for many of us who follow after Jesus, this is a daily wrestling match. But here's the jam. For those of you that follow Jesus, 
Jesus talks about money 25% of the time he opens his mouth in these gospels. And almost always, it's a warning. And if we don't take a good hard look at the voices we're allowing to shepherd us, we might find that we end our lives in despair. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture and see if it's got any wisdom for us to discern how it is that we're to live, find the grace and power to do it. We're going to be in Psalm 49 this morning. I love Psalm 49. It is uh, one of the least preached psalms. I think you'll see why. Uh, But I love it. I can't wait to share it with you. Psalm 49 starts like this. You ready? You ready? You can say no. I mean, if you, want, if you need a minute, I'm glad to wait. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high. Okay, so who's, who are they talking to? It, like, do you fit in any of these categories? Yeah, okay, so hear this, all you people, all y'alls. Listen, all y'alls who inhabit the world, both low and high. And I don't think that means high like, I think that means like rich. Rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a lyre. Lyre is a, um, uh, a musical instrument. This basically, what you're seeing here in this introduction to Psalm 49 is a singer-songwriter telling you, hey, everybody, gather around. I've got a song to sing. Do you see it? Saying, and, and people are like, who are you calling to gather about? All y'alls. What if we're rich? Yes, you. What if you're poor? Yes, you. What if you're low? Yes, you. What if you're baked out of your mind? You too. Because the high is making a joke with the thing. Got it. Gather around. I've got a song to sing. And in this song is deep wisdom and profound truth. And here's what I love about what this song, uh, Psalm 49, what this song teaches us. There's a book of the Bible called The Psalms. And in it, uh, there are many different songs, or we call them psalms, but they are, they are truth sung. Psalms are singable truth. And the reason that the psalms are helpful to us, and it's meant for us to let it roll around and meditate in our minds, because you know that just, uh, just normal like truth statements, they're easy to forget. But when you get a song, have you guys ever had this happen? You get a song stuck in your head, it just kind of just kind of just in there all the time. Like you get out of the car, you're kind of singing it. You know, you're washing the dishes. You're kind of like humming along. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. So the Psalms are singable truth. And here this singer-songwriter is saying, everyone gather around. I've got some truth to tell. I'm going to tell you a riddle, and I'm going to use my guitar to do it. Many of us have favorite bands. Do you have a favorite band? Come on, talk to me now. You guys got a favorite band? On the count of three, say your favorite band out loud. One, Two, three. Okay, great. Um, I don't like any of those bands. Uh, so my favorite band, thanks for asking, is Pink Floyd. And uh, yeah, first hour was all boos and hisses, but I like you people way better. Pink Floyd. And the reason that Pink Floyd is one of my favorite, I, I can still remember in seventh grade when someone gave me the album The Wall. It's my favorite album of all time. And so Pink Floyd's my favorite band. The Wall is my favorite album. And I remember they gave it to me. Uh, they gave me The Wall. Uh, I think it was on cassette or CD. And I remember burning a hole in that thing. I listened to it all the time. And one of the things that drew me to it, and over the years I've thought a lot about it, 
One of the things that drew me to this album, The Wall, is not just the music, but also the message. And in fact, uh, you see it vividly displayed at concerts. So uh, like most great bands, they've had some fights. And Roger Waters, who is the primary uh, songwriter of the Wall album, left the band. And so when he toured, in fact, he recently, well, actually uh, in the last decade, toured and did the Wall album just as a solo artist with a bunch of other friends. And during this, so I, I was privileged to go to two of the concerts at that time. And I, I mean, it was the time of my life. I loved it. And I, yeah. So one of the coolest things about this show is that during the concert, the band's out there like normal. You guys have seen concerts before. The band's out there like normal, you know, guitars, drum set, the whole deal. But then progressively through the evening, they build a wall between the audience and the musicians. Because the whole album is about the life experiences, namely of Roger Waters, of all the ways that he had been abused or abandoned, about the way that he had abused and abandoned others, about the rise and fall of his life, about death that he had experiences and, dis and disappointments. And the concept of the wall is that through his life, he's noticing that what's been happening, even as he's grown in wealth, that even as he's accumulating more and more stuff, there's this wall being built up between him and the rest of humanity. And in this concept, you catch a glimpse of the whole meaning of the album, The Wall, that there's this wall that we're all building up between us. But you also get commentary on Psalm 49, because the author of Psalm 49, the songwriter of Psalm 49, is telling you the same thing, only they're leaning into possessions. When we have stuff and we find our security and our safety in the stuff, what that stuff ends up doing is getting compiled in on itself and creating a wall between us and them. And there's two key questions that we ask when it comes to the accumulation of stuff. The first question is this, how much is enough to feel safe? How much is enough to feel safe? And the songwriter will tell you, check it out. Why should I fear in times of trouble? What's the emotion this person's feeling? What is it? Fear. fear. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. So this person is feeling overwhelmed, like everything's collapsing in on them. And they say, why should I fear in those negative times? They trust. What's the word? They trust. Okay, in a moment of fear, I'm looking to something to bring my heart peace. Is that right? When you fear, do you not look for something, anything? Give me peace or peace of mind. Peace of mind is one of the most uh, favored uh, lines for sales pitches. You need some peace of mind. When I'm fearing, I'm looking for some place to put my trust, trusting that that thing or that entity or that person or that being will give to me peace. They trust in their, what's the object of the trust? I'm in a time of fear. I'm looking for an object or a person or a thing to put my trust in. What does the author say? What does the songwriter say that these foolish people put their trust in? Wealth. wealth. Not only do they put their trust in their wealth, right? They, the answer to the question, will, when do I have enough or how much is enough to feel safe the answer that they have is, well, I'm going to look to my stuff to keep me safe. 
But of course, the answer to the question, how much is enough to feel safe, is what? Just a little bit more. How much is enough before we feel safe? Just a little bit more. Now watch this. They trust in their wealth and they boast of their abundant riches, right? Scrooge McDuck, look at all the money I've got. Now look what the author says. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. What was the word? What's getting paid to God? Ransom, what a strange way to talk. But I want you to see something here. According to the songwriter, who owns me? Who's got claim over the very breath that I breathe? God. And the songwriter leverages this illustration or this idea or this metaphor that God's got the ticket and he can punch it anytime he wants. To put it another way, who decides when you die? You or God? The scripture says all of our days are numbered. Who's doing the numbering? So the songwriter says, how much stuff do you think you're going to collect in order to pay the ransom, in order to pay the tab? When the tab comes due, how much stuff do you think you're going to be able to trade in for another day? Do you see what the author's doing here? They're pointing out the ridiculous idea that our ultimate safety can be found in the stuff that we accumulate. And so the person who has very little can feel just as safe and secure as the person who has very many things. Why? Because ultimately our safety and security are not found in the stuff that we've got. It's found in the God who made us and loved us. Do you know that? Do you know that your life is in God's hand? I'm not saying be an idiot. There's nowhere in the scripture that says God's got it all under control, so be stupid. What the scripture does say is, in your planning, in your wisdom, be shrewd, be wise, but never forget where your safety lies. It lies in the hands of God. And notice, they trust in their wealth and boast about their abundant riches, yet these cannot redeem a person or pay their ransom to God. So the question is this, how much is enough to feel safe? We need to answer that question. You have to answer it for yourself. And here's the deal. If you're answering that question with dollar amounts, if you've ever answered that question with dollar amounts, let me ask you, once you hit that dollar amount, did you ever feel safe? Did you feel like nothing will ever happen to me? I'll live freely and generously because I've got enough money. Okay, let's keep going. We, like... I know that there are many of us here who are not um, citizens of America, but we're all living in an American culture, an American society. And I want you to see something. I did a little research. Uh, check this out. 52% of Americans cried about money in the last year. 52% of Americans cried about money. Now, many of us think, okay, well, I get that people who don't have means, uh, who can't put food on the table, pro probably would cry about money. And maybe there's a lot of folks like that in our city. And there are certainly a lot of folks like that, not only in our city, but also in our church family. 
I know that there's many of you who have a really difficult time putting food on the table, buying the medicine and things like that. And when we're having this conversation, by the way, what I'm not talking about is uh, not being concerned about where your next meal is going to come from or not being concerned about how you're going to pay the medical bills. I think God wants you to receive the medicine and to receive the food. He wants you to be shrewd and wise about it, trusting that ultimately at the end of the day, he's the provider. But in this study, the majority of those who were crying about money were not in a position of poverty. In fact, 41% of those who, make two, uh, of those who cried make $200,000 or more. And why did they cry? Because they didn't have enough. People who make $200,000 or more in this survey, 41% of them cried about money in the previous year. When asked, why did you cry about money in the previous year? The answer was, I don't have enough. When will you have enough? If you don't ask the question, then the subtle, non-spoken answer is always more. Because there ain't never enough to make us feel safe. I want to tell you about why. I want to shift gears for a minute and tell you why this matters. We have more stuff. As a church family, if you would accumulate our resources, we have, just as a church family, more resources than many nations have over the course of human history. Just our capacities, our ability to transfer information, the ability to get things done. We have the capacity to be radically generous. But generosity only comes from a heart that feels safe, not because of the stuff we have, but because of the God who we entrust ourselves to. A heart of generosity only comes from a heart that feels safe, not in the stuff we have, but the God we entrust ourselves to. Uh, we started a thing a few months ago called Build 100. It's a vision we have that we believe God gave to us as a church family. And in Build 100, we, we have three key things that we're hoping to invest our time and energy and money into. Number one is building 100 new leaders with a specific emphasis and focus on uh, people who are coming out of under-resourced or underserved areas in our city. The second one is building 100 homes for families in need, specifically in North Phoenix and the Palomino community in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. And the third thing is building 100% more multi-use space on our campus. Uh, we have a space to grow in this room, but our corollary spaces, we are at capacity in some of those spaces. So we believe God's calling us not only to expand our capacity, but also to make sure we're using every square foot of property that we've got to the best of our ability. We currently have a two-story building. It's, it's multi-purpose space, but it's currently being used for our preschool during the week and our Adventure Kids program on the weekends. The only way to get to half of that square footage namely the second story. The only way to get into those rooms is to climb stairs. Therefore, as a church family, what we have been communicating to our city is, if you can't climb the stairs, you can't hang out. And we want to be a welcoming family. So we've been talking about that, we've prayed about it. I'm so thrilled with your generosity as a church family. Many of you have stepped up in big ways Yesterday, I was at Love Our Schools Day. We were at PV High School. We were brooming and shoveling and, uh, and, and doing all sorts of cool work. Thank you guys for those of you that came out, whether it be the PV High School or Echo Mountain. Uh, it was just a huge, huge day for us to be able to serve our community. 
But somebody uh, talked to me and they said, hey, I was picking up my, uh, my kid the other day from the two-story building. I was looking at my kid and I was looking at the steps and I just remember what you said about like, we want to say yes to everybody who wants to say yes to Jesus. And so my spouse and I talked and here's a check for $17,000 for that elevator. Now, for some people, $17,000 checks, not a big deal. For this family, I know this family, I know where they're at categorically, financially, this was a huge gift. This was a risk. And it comes, their capacity to live generously comes from a heart that says, my safety is not found in the stuff I've accumulated, but in my God. Because that $17,000 could do a lot of things that would make me feel safe. And again, I'm not saying be foolish, nor is the scripture. But when our trust is in God, only then are we capable of actually living generously. The second question is more insidious. And it goes like this. How much is enough before you feel significant? How much more stuff do you need before you feel valued, loved, before you feel like you're somebody? Is there something in your life that you're trying to obtain so that you can finally feel like you're important to someone? How much is enough before you feel significant? And here's why this is insidious. Because the stuff never gives to us the significance that we hope it will. There ain't no car in the universe that you could roll up in, even if the rims were still spinning, that's going to make your heart satisfied in who you are, who you've been made to be. When we look at stuff to give us significance, we're constantly making demands on created things. Give my life meaning. R2-D2, give me meaning. And of course, this piece of plastic gives me zero meaning. Take a look at the text. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. TV timeout. This is a warning, by the way. I want you to think about, oh yeah, this is really good. <laughs> ah, I want you to think about who you're following, who you're following on Instagram, who you're following on Twitter, Facebook, who you're following in People Magazine, who you're following on the evening news, who are you following? Are their voices, watch this, are their voices arrogant? Are the shepherds you're giving yourself over to haughty, arrogant, prideful? Because notice what the song, the song says. The songwriter tells us it's not just the arrogant that are going to it's not going to end well for. It's also those who are following them who give approval to what they say. Do you guys see that? I mean, it's, call, it's calling out not just the person who's got the megaphone, but everyone who either intentionally or tacitly is standing there, standing by saying yes, giving approval to what the arrogance say. Who are you listening to? Whose voices are you allowing to shepherd you? Because if you give yourself over to them as a shepherd, it may lead to your destruction, at least according to this song. Now, this song is going to take a dark turn. This would be like a great Metallica album. Here we go. <laughs> like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. 
We'll get to what Sheol is in a minute. Death will shepherd them. And we're going to do that one more time. I'm going to do it this way. They are like sheep headed for Sheol, and death will shepherd them. This is a great song, man. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. What is their way, songwriter? Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. And we'll talk about what Sheol is in a minute. And who's going to shepherd them there? Who's going to be their shepherd? But I look at all the glitz. Look at all the glamour. Death pulled up in a brand new car. I mean, look at what we're following. Doesn't it look cool? But the songwriter says, you want to know what that is? It's death. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol far from their lofty abode. I love this line. This is such a, like, gotcha line. The songwriter is saying, you know what? When they die, their carcass is just going to rot in the ground far away from that fancy stuff they've got. Do you see what he's saying here? He's like, no matter what you've got, you're going to rot in the ground. Are you encouraged yet? I mean, let's keep going. Okay, here we go. So, what is Sheol? I'm glad you asked. Sheol is an ancient understanding of what happens after you die. Contrary to popular belief, the modern concept of heaven and hell is, is it just... It, your minds would be blown. In fact, I would encourage you, do an actual like, study of how the scriptures talk about what happens when you die. You're gonna, your, your mind's going to be blown. We have in our culture this idea that there's heaven up there and hell down there, and it's clouds and uh, weird babies up there, and then down there, it's a bunch of fire and brimstone and people with pitchforks. Okay, that's not when, when, this, when the ancients talk about Sheol. What they're talking about is this really ambiguously defined place you go where you die, And instead of it being fiery, they actually believed it to be watery. Because in their worldview, the the ground, the earth, floated on top of the watery abyss. In fact, the opening line of Genesis clues you into some of how they would view the world of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the watery abyss. In fact, if you were an ancient uh, Middle Eastern society and you knew about people who fished for a living, they would tell you horror stories of that time they were out on their boat fishing, and the storm came in. This is, by the way, is why the disciples are horrified when the storm hits their boat. And the storm hit their boat, and Frank fell out. And we never saw Frank again. Where did Frank go, they might say, as they're, telling this, uh, they're hearing this fisherman story. Well, Frank fell into what? The watery abyss. Where do you go when you die? To Sheol, the place that dead people do you get out of Sheol? Mm-mm. According to the ancient understanding of Sheol, you don't get out of Sheol unless somebody takes you from there, or to put it another way, shepherds you out of Sheol. You got me? So let's, uh, actually, if we could go um, back one slide. I want you to hear this again. Like sheep, they are headed for what? Sheol. What are they headed for? The watery death. You got me? And who's going to shepherd them? The thing that's going to take them into the land of the dead is death itself. Now, what might this look like? I think I've got a picture. We actually took a photograph of death shepherd. There it is. When we follow 
Those voices that tell us that our significance is found in the stuff that we've got, we're like the sheep in this image, being shepherded where? To death. This is a horrifying image, but the songwriter uses it intentionally. He's, he's calling out to you. Don't try to find your stuff, your, your significance in your stuff. You're going to rot without that stuff. And moreover, the shepherd of Sheol is death. To put our significance into the stuff is death. It can, you can see it in the text. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol. How much is enough for you to feel significant? How much stuff do you have to have before you feel significant? Isn't the answer always more? That speaks to the lie that stuff gives us our significance. As a church family, we want to help put this into practice. You've seen this image, I'm sure, around the next steps. We want to help you take your next step. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the key next steps in following Jesus, and he just is screaming this in the Gospels at us, one of the key next steps is to live generously. Uh, a, a few months ago, we did a project uh, where we asked everybody to um, ask themselves multiple questions around this concept of generosity. Many of you participated in that. I'm so thankful for your participation. But we're going to do something a little similar today, uh, but, but slightly different. In the back of the seat in front of you is an index card. And it's in an envelope. I'm going to ask that everyone would take this out. Even if you think I'm stupid and you don't plan on participating, which, by the way, welcome to the club, I'm going to ask that you would take it out because we don't want anybody to feel singled out. And so if you would take that and then take that index card out, this is just for you. You're not turning this in. This isn't for anybody else to look at. That's why we've got the envelope. This is just for you. And I'm going to ask that you would take that index card, and I'm going to ask that for the next uh, eight weeks, so now between now and the new year, so this season of consumerism, this season in which there's a thousand voices telling us that our safety and our significance is found in the stuff that we possess, in this season, I'm going to ask that you would ask yourself this one question. How much is enough? Write it on that card. How much is enough? How much money do I need? How much stuff do I need? How many of these uh, things do I need before I feel safe and significant? How much do I need? How much is enough? By simply, here's the deal. <laughs> I don't even know if you can find the answer. But by asking the question, it recalibrates the heart around what I'm actually expecting the stuff to give me. Simply by asking how much is enough, we might find that God does some work on our hearts to say, you're looking for your safety and your significance in the wrong place. How much is enough? Here's the deal. I hate this. I absolutely hate it. I didn't even fill out my index card yet. I hate it because every day I'm bombarded with messages that tell me my meaning, my significance, and my safety are found in the stuff that I have. And I just, every day I feel like, man, I just need to get a little bit more. If I, just get, if I just get some more. And the heart surgery that Jesus does on me when I ask this question does not feel good most of the time. And I need Jesus. How about you? Here's the good news. Jesus loves you so much 
Your significance is found in the fact that you were made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus has given himself completely for you because he loves you and finds you significant. And that has nothing to do with what you've got. And Jesus promises that he holds you in his hand. And just as the lilies of the field and the birds of the air are cared for and taken care of by God, so too Jesus promises that he will take care of you. That though your days are numbered, until that day comes, he's got you in his hand. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to be shepherded by death. I don't want to give my life over to empty promises. I want to be shepherded by the one who will bring me life. And so as we think about who's shepherding us, I'm going to ask you to do something. First, take a big, deep breath. Just for our remaining moments together, we're going to do something that Christians have been doing for centuries. I'm going to read Psalm 23. And I'm going to read it. This may be familiar to some of you. It may be brand new to others, which is totally fine. But I'm going to read this, Psalm 23. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This may, for, some, for many of you, this may be the first time you've ever done this. I'm going to ask you to hear these words as if they are actually the word of God actually speaking to you. That God may in this moment, that the spirit of God may in this moment be doing something through his word that he wants to reveal to you or to encourage you or to bring a, a, some conviction to you or to speak a word to you. I want to tell you something. Some days I follow Jesus because it's my job. But there are many days, and these days are growing more and more frequent, where I'm following Jesus because he's alive and he's speaking to me and shepherding me. In this moment, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is capable, right now, even in this moment, of speaking to you and to your heart. And so I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it three different times. And I'll give us some instruction along the way. So if you are a person who likes to close your eyes so that you can meditate on the words, I would encourage you to do that. If you'd rather read them, I'll have them up on the screen. Uh, if you'd rather just listen, uh, either way, whatever works for you. But I want you to hear these words and allow God to speak to you through them. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness. And faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I'm going to read this a second time. And as you hear these words, if any one word or phrase jumps out at you or strikes you, just meditate on that one word or the, that phrase. And maybe that God wants to point something out to you and to your heart even in this moment. So quiet your mind and quiet your heart and listen to God speaking. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And on this third reading and final reading, if there's anything that jumps out at you that speaks to your heart, cling to it and then quietly where you're at, pray through it. What I mean to say is just quietly where you're at, speak back to God how you're feeling, what you're thinking, how this is striking you. He's listening and he loves you so much. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Father, we entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring these things about. You are Jesus. You are our good shepherd. We ask these things knowing that you love us, and we entrust ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.